welcome to the Loomer podcast. That is London Underground Music Review. We are now audible and visual. Thanks for tuning in. Thank uh, this week on the pod, we have the band Probably Oslo from Southeast London. Uh, they make lively indie rock music and are putting out their brand new single this Friday. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. Would you like to introduce yourselves um, by name and like what your role in the band is? Yeah, sure. My name is Alex. Uh, I sing, I play guitar, um, I attempt to play keyboards, still in the process of learning, not very good at them yet. <laughs> hey, I'm Danny, I play guitar and a bit of singing as well. Um, so would you like to tell us about the about the new song? Is it a teaser for like a bigger project or is it just kind of a standalone um, release? Uh, it is, yeah, it's a standalone release. It's a bit of a weird one. We I guess it was supposed to be something that would perhaps link into a larger project. We had it recorded and well, we had it written ages ago. We've been, I guess, kind of touring it and playing it live for what feels like a very, very long time. And it's always had a really positive reception. It's always been a song that's felt, I guess, quite close to us. Um, I've definitely had it in the past where it's been like days recording stuff and you go over it so many times and you hear it mixed so many different ways. And by the end of the session, by the end of the process, when you come to release, you listen back to it and you're just kind of dead to it. You don't really feel much. But I think with something like Meridian Lines, so we left it for a long time and I perhaps thought I would have the same feeling when I listen back to it. I'm so done with this. Listen back to it and it's, I don't know, feel like it kind of kind of excites me again, sets me on fire a little bit. You know, this is proof of concept. We, we know what we're doing here and this sounds really, really nice. And I'm very, very proud of it, you know? It feels like yeah. we recorded it in a different world, you know, like prior to pre-March, we recorded it in February, I think, and it feels like we recorded that, as, I feel like a different person from then, like some of the things that have been on. <laughs> Years and, ago. I, it, feels oh, like, yeah. it feels like another lifetime, eh? and it's like, when we, I went back to the studio just to finish off the mix with, with the producer we worked with, and I remember when we went back and we played it, it took me right back to the sessions and all the different things, because Alex was like a madman, he was playing everything. So I think like I played guitar, a little bit of singing, Aaron did drums, <laughs> Callum did his bass, Alex played about fucking 40 instruments, it sounds like some sort of, it's like Brian Wilson he was going about with different, yeah, yeah. I wasn't yeah. sure if Alex was going absolutely mental though as he was running about with all these different things and fucking keyboards <laughs> and like, so taking drugs or something. Just, right? try, it's picking up anything in the room, picking up shakers, what about this, does this sound good, is this one, <laughs> behind the piano, what about this Shells one? and all that like, we're grateful to be able to to have experiences like that and to make music like that and, and to have something to take away, like something tangible, like having a, a recording that will always be there is, is a nice feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And we got it, we got it recorded and then the world went into lockdown. Um, we had all these shows booked and this tour booked around it and I guess these kind of grand aspirations and all these plans for how we're going to release and <laughs> tour this song and it all kind of uh, just melted away. So we've, I guess we were kicking the can down the road for a while of, you know, what do we do to release this song? How are other people releasing music? What's the, what's the playbook here when, as a band that primarily relies on going out and playing shows, you can't really play shows. Um, so eventually we just come to the conclusion of we just, we don't need to play it live. We can just release it out that we have this song, get it out there, let it live, let it do its thing instead of just sitting on it. Yeah. Um, I actually saw you guys live in February. That's no way. Ah, nice yeah. one. Who was that? Uh, the Finsbury Pub. Oh, okay. That was a fun yeah. one. Pretending I can't remember which one it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> remember that one? The Lost in the Man, mate. The what? The one you were meant to get paid for and you forgot. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I do remember, yeah. I was... Um, Perhaps a little bit drunk. Uh, Alex, uh, <laughs> Alex was meant to get the money that night and he got really drunk and forgot about it. Yeah. Building up incest Yeah. I, look, I'm not normally in charge of money. I normally can't be trusted to collect money at the end of the night. It's really, really not my wheelhouse. It's not something that I should be, yeah. <laughs> not something that should be on my shoulders whatsoever. You're uh, not so the it, responsible I mean, one in the van? Oh, if anything, it's probably his fault for being foolish enough to say, Alex, please collect the money at the end of the night. Uh, and that, that sounds a bit right. And then when I said yes, he believed me, so... Yeah. I should have noticed and asked him, one eye was up that way, one eye was that way, that he wasn't affected the money. <laughs> up against the wall, yeah, sure, don't worry about it, man. <laughs> I'll get your money. 
Was that um, was that the last show you guys played? Or did no, you... we played a few more. So we had a, had a little tour booked, and uh, it kind of it didn't really start off very well. We played in Brighton, and we drove down, and just as soon as we got in the car, all the gear packed up, the car broke down, just as we were leaving London. So we had to carry all the stuff, run run down to, to Brighton, play this show. <laughs> Cost us a fortune. Oh my god! And then the next gig we played, coronavirus had just started to kind of come out. It was just getting released. And it was getting like a... Well, Will Hannah just dropped the coronavirus mixtape and it was really taking off. Then <laughs> I'm gone global. Exactly. And it was getting um it was getting like a bit a bit quieter anyway. And I remember during the gig you said right that before our last song, Alex said, We're all infected with the rhythm and I thought it was the worst. <laughs> Things can't it get any worse from that. And then it was a global pandemic and our whole our whole tour was cancelled, everything was cancelled, so Fucking hell, I forgot I said that. I can't believe you said that. Yeah. Uh, okay, that, that Brighton gig. So, yeah, we got to Forest Hill in London, which is like we were kind of on our way out, going further south. Car breaks down. We had to run. We just like ditched this car in a car park and we ran down to Forest Hill Station. I remember like I was I was lagging behind. I'm not very healthy. I'm not a good runner at all. Very bad. <laughs> Danny and Callum were like gunning it onto this train, they ran through the turnstiles. As we kind of like run into the station, this train is pulled up. These two like dive onto it. I run up to the barrier. I'm like fumbling with my card. I think I put my Oyster card in and we've gone so far out that we're in like zone three and I only have a zone two card. So it's like, my card's not working. And I'm like, I'm screaming at the guy who's working at the station. I'm like, dude, please let me through. I need to go on this train. I have like three guitars and like drum stuff on my back. I just see the door close and like, him and Callum's faces at the window and like they disappear off and I'm like fucking stranded. Surviving with the fittest. <laughs> it is. It was a shocking performance to be fair. Absolutely disgraceful. It was rough. I think we turned up like maybe 20 minutes, half an hour before we went on. Like, you made it. We made it. We did yeah. make it. To our credit, we made it. I stood on my own in this on this commuter train down to Brighton for like an hour and a half. My phone had died nobody's there with me on my fucking equipment. I'm like trying to keep an eye on everything. I think I had stashed a packet of bourbons in my guitar case. So I was just sat <laughs> eating a packet of bourbons on the train thinking, what the fuck am I doing? Oh my God. That's... So that's a, a long-winded story of <laughs> what's the story of the song? <laughs> How, so what's the, what's the usual procedure for uh, making a, a probably Oslo tune? Um... Like, I think it's, I guess it's probably changed recently. Obviously, I don't want to bang on about coronavirus all the time, but I guess before we were... Pretty relevant, so it's okay. Kind of unavoidable, really, isn't it? We were very, we were live-focused before this all happened, and I think the way we were kind of writing songs and writing sets and practising and getting in a room together was all focused around how do we bring this in front of people and how do we communicate this in a live setting. Now, when we're writing newer material, it is, I guess, as you see us here, in this studio, in this room, kind of chipping away at songs, coming in with ideas. Um, I guess it's, you know, formed out of necessity, but ultimately I think it's really, really kind of helped us uh, form the ideas of what the, what the new music is gonna be. There's a chance to like slow down, there's a chance to be more considerate about things. There's more time to let things breathe and let things live on their own outside of other people experiencing them. It's perhaps a more selfish way of writing it, but um, look, I, for one, I kind of prefer it this way. <laughs> uh, I think we were really like, we, we did singles and then we did the tours in the back of it. I mean, we always maybe pushed ourselves a wee bit further than we maybe, like we should have. We went to like Holland for a tour we thought we were going to break even and we didn't know we ended up staying in a really expensive hotel <laughs> like a, a, like a real band like, there, was, uh, there was a hot tub on the roof there was a hot tub place. on the roof it was great wow we stayed for like we stayed for like four nights or something like yeah good basically on holiday but um, you know, we were trying to trying to break even with two two gigs that we were playing in Amsterdam we were staying in I think we played what, four or five on that tour but we yeah. played two in Amsterdam but and we did things like that, and by the time we got back, we were absolutely exhausted. And I remember coming back for that tour, totally wrecked, and then we went straight into the studio again, and then we got that finished. We took Christmas off, 
we did the, probably the show that, that you saw us at. We did those shows and then we did this single and then the world ended. And then it was probably actually in some ways a bit of a nice breather because we'd just been working so hard. Yeah. I think from like when we started the band, like what? 2018. 2018. From when we started, it's been pretty much like, it's been all go since then. We haven't really, we're definitely not taking a break in the way we have now, but I don't think we've really slowed down since then. And it was like two or three nights a week. Yeah. For, for the best part of two years. And disasters that go with traveling, cars yeah. and fucking all the rest of it. So Yeah. I, I will lay claim, I think we are the unluckiest band ever. Ever. So the night before we went on tour to, to Holland, Alex fell and broke his wrist two nights before. <laughs> the guitar player, I broke my hand. There's pictures of me, like, <laughs> we're on the ferry over there, and I'm, like, stood by the car with my fucking cast. Um, and then what else happened? The single release, we were going to go on, the first single release, we were just about to go on stage. And I go on and I, I turn my guitar pedal thing on, and everything just explodes. <laughs> <laughs> like two minutes before we got on, remember that? Yeah, it was, got... it was like a very big show. It was like, I feel like it was the, the point at which I'd started to feel like this is good, this is gaining momentum, people like this, there's there's something really cool here. And we got this show and we're in this venue called Sister Midnight. It's a local venue, you know, became a bit of a haunt for us and we've managed to like pack this place somehow. <laughs> just about to start, ready to go on. I'm like, I've done my vocal warm-ups like a maniac. And we're just like, we're ready to go. And Danny plugs his pedals in and all the lights go out. Oh, fuck. In the entire place? No, just on my, my, my pedal thing. And I use a lot of effects, so it wasn't possible to do the show without it. So I had to try and rewire things. And I was dying and eventually got it working. But then I was like shaking. So I was sitting for the guitar and I was pretty nervous. And then we got, after that, that started like a series of mishaps. Like I had to spend like £300 to fix that. We went to... Scotland, we played in Glasgow, first song, and it, I'm, I'm obviously from eh, Scotland, so all my friends were there, and my family and stuff. First song, my guitar lead stops working. It's coming in and out. He's playing the guitar looking at me. Oh, it was a nightmare. <laughs> hey, you know what? It leads to some great stories, though. So at least you've got that. Silver linings, eh? True. Yeah. How did the band come about? Like, how did you all meet each other and decide to to make probably Oslo? Um, I just moved to London and then I, I was living in Amsterdam before and I, I moved over and I was keen to start another band, I had some songs and then I went on this sort of music forum and then I met some really strange people and then one of the ones that were cool, like so, I mean I actually met some really nice people out of it but there was a few <laughs> freak shows that sent me these messages, oh my god no way, I'm not even going to meet them. <laughs> But then Alex was one of the freak shows, and I thought I'll meet up with this guy. I met some lunatics as well, <laughs> and I got stuck with one of them quite quite permanently. Crazy. <laughs> um, I we started like that day. We started like um, we put the set together, the first set together really quickly. It was half Alex songs and half yeah. mine. Then we started sort of writing more together. Um, but that first day we was in North London, and Alex said. Um, he was working in a studio and we were sort of playing a bit of music with a few beers, getting to know each other. And I'm thinking, this is pretty cool. And then he's like, do you want to go down to this studio I'm working at? And I was like, all right, yeah, it sounds good. Let's go. And we get kind of geek like that anyway. But it was Abbey Road and he hadn't told me. So we went to Abbey Road and then we were in Abbey Road playing all the, the Beatles gear and stuff like that. It was amazing. We were playing on that piano and there's, there's this piano that has, um, there's like cigarette burns on it from um, either Lennon or McCartney when he'd sit and play this piano and smoking away, he'd just kind of stub his cigs out on the side of the piano and get going. Just I remember like Danny sat at the piano playing on it. And I was like, hey, guess who's that piano is? <laughs> it wasn't even a nice piano. <laughs> Uh, piano aficionado here, honestly, played like shit. I don't know what I don't know what he was thinking of. Fucking <laughs> John. Because, but it is a shit piano. Yeah. <laughs> is, we kind of started like that. Yeah. Then... I guess it was fortuitous, really, because we we both were really new to London. We both kind of just moved there. I had only been in London like a month or so. I just started that new job at the studio, and then I think you had only been there a couple of weeks, really. I think I was like ten days. Anyway. Ten days, yeah. And, um, so. It would just feel felt like perfect timing, you know, right time, right place, uh, you know, right two idiots together. Then <laughs> we sort of built the band from there. So we had um, Aaron joined the drums, and then we had a friend Nat playing bass, but she moved back to New Zealand. So then our current bassist Callum he joined, 
which seems like a lifetime ago now, actually. I it really does. When the hell that was, right before Hideaway, I think. And then yeah, the four of us have been kind of going since then. Yeah. You touched on this a little bit, but how did you each uh, get into music individually? Do you remember? Oh, man. Um, do you want to go first? Do you want me to jump in? Yeah. I think for me, I've just been playing playing guitar since I was like seven or eight, and I'm 33 now, so I've always done music. <laughs> Nice fellow. It feels like uh, just part of us, and I've always played mm-hmm. in bands since I was a teenager. And I did a lot of different solo things, and I've lived in different places, and I've always just did music wherever I went. And I so it's pretty much never, never not done it. I don't think I ever won't like I've ever have a life without music either, or without being in a band. Or... Yeah, I, I, I think I'm on the same page there. I think it's very like habitual. Like I've been making music for ever, like for as long as I can remember. Um, it's, it's, it's always just been part of part of life and mm-hmm. I guess as I said before you know high up on my priority list for when I moved to London was find a band find a group of guys to start playing music with that's kind of always been my MO I guess I've always <laughs> found people to make music with and based a lot of my kind of social interactions around you know being in bands and doing gigs and doing band practices and hanging out with people in the band um, just it's, it's always been a huge huge part it's hard though, it's hard to like to meet the right people. So Alex and I write most of the music together and there's a real chemistry there and it's it's really, really unique to have that. Yeah. Like I've maybe I, only ever had it with not even as as much as this, but with maybe one other person to be able to write with. But we write really quickly together and they're really complimentary, I think. Yeah, it's definitely it's an unusual thing to come across. I think what we have here is we're both write in a similar style and feel like there's something quite instinctual about how we approach a song together yeah i think that's uh that chemistry is uh pretty rare i just seemed it seemed to seemed to just to work really nicely and it made yeah. all the difficulties of moving to london worth it in a way absolutely I have that because it's just really it's really it's really strange and yeah. to find that 10 days in too yeah, it was pretty cool, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, no messing about yeah bit of a bit of a sign that you made the right choice eh? all right that was cool do you, do you either of you remember um, one of your first like albums that you bought or first live performances that you went to go see? Ooh, I remember like, one of the first gigs that I went to see. I, I definitely I remember seeing like my parents took me to see Eric Clapton on the Slow Hand tour. Um, I was really young when I went to see that. I remember my dad took me to see The Who as well um, in Hull. That was. I think I think I had a fairly um, I don't know there was, there was a decent like rock pedigree to my music taste. I I remember like when I was young listening to my dad's old CDs of like Blue Oyster Cult, uh, yeah, Thin Lizzy, um, a lot of like ACDC and stuff like that. My dad was like big into this kind of well, I guess it's dad rock music now. This kind of like classic rock stuff. And I started listening to it. I just something like flicked in my head you know I'd gone from I guess when I was very young listening to like the pop stuff that you kind of get on the radio and I think I was really into this band called Five it was a boy band that I definitely remember going oh, and seeing with my sister and my mum at some point we definitely saw them live <laughs> Five That's Live wild. it was I must have been very very young I sister into that yeah I'm, I'm a, look, in my defence I must have been very very young but either way I was getting funneled all this manufactured pop shite and then suddenly you hear like guitars, electric guitars, ACDC, and little eight-year-old Alex Wooster says, "Shit, something, something cool is going on here." <laughs> that album. I, I do actually remember buying an REM uh, album. Cool. That is pretty cool, and um, I can't remember which one it is, but I definitely remember buying like an REM record when I was quite young. What was yours? Yours is going to be something really cool as well, isn't it? I got like um, I was really into Oasis, right? When I was really young, my dad loved Oasis. So I'm pretty old. So this was like 97 when their second album came out. And then they were releasing the master plan. And I was like, I kind of want that, Dad. And he's like, nah, nah, it's B-size. It'll be absolutely shite. Don't, don't bother. So I bought that Corner Shop album with Brimful of Ash on it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be absolutely great, but I hated it at the time. And my dad went and bought me the Oasis, the master plan, as, <laughs> to say sorry for his bad reputation. <laughs> and that's one of my favourite albums, though. Yeah. I think that corner shop record's great. Though. I know it is. I went back to it. Probably not for like somebody who's like I don't know, like eight. Seven, seven or eight years old. Yeah, it's quite advanced listening for an eight-year-old. That was, that's me. And uh, 
I gig wise went to lots of mum and dad took me to lots of good gigs. So I saw like the Rolling Stones, David Bowie, and then I was when I got into more and more and stuff, I went to see Sonic Youth and PJ Harvey. I was really into like that kind of thing. And I had I went to see so many shows for the from like maybe twelve to seventeen. I was going to gigs all the time. And then after that I just couldn't be bothered anymore. <laughs> Thought I got old before my time. <laughs> Okay, so I just have some Ask Reddit questions. They're sort of sillier. Okay, nice one. Um, so you can now jump into paintings or pictures in real life and explore that world. Uh, where, which picture or painting would you choose to uh, go explore? Um, find some of the concept art from the Lord of the Rings movies. And <laughs> what the fuck is that? Jump into there, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Um, perhaps the Shire, I'd probably move into a little hobbit hole in the Shire, um, just tend some crops, go on an adventure with, you know, uh, no, maybe not an adventure with Frodo, a bit too dangerous, a bit too intense. Bilbo adventures, perhaps more my style, a bit more laid back, a bit more kind of jovial. Uh, but yeah, I'd be roaming around Middle Earth in the Shire, down, down to Buckland. Do it. <laughs> he fucking hates this stuff. <laughs> uh, I don't like Lord of the Rings and all that. I think for me, I'd probably get into like an Andy Warhol from the Factory Days and Studio Fifty Four kind of vibe. I hope I love all that. That's that whole scene. I guess when Disco was coming out, and in, in New York, I think that would be a good time there. Yeah, that'd be very cool. That's so serious. You can go anywhere. You can do anything. And that's where I want to go. You want to jump, jump the I don't know. Hobbits. Hobbits. Or whatever the fuck that is. Elves. Fucking sick, man. What? Just be this world, but the sixties, seventies, and eighties. That one, isn't it? The fact that, but yeah, when when that. New York was like rough and like the most dangerous city in the world, and you couldn't like get on the subway without getting stabbed. I like, like that's that. where you want to go. I like that vibe. <laughs> yeah, you like that vibe. <laughs> Just come with me, Middle Earth adventure. For yourself. <laughs> Do you guys have any like hidden talents or uh, useless or unusual skills? No skill is useless, is it really? There's always there's always something you can do with it, um, but probably not. I don't think I've got any either. <laughs> uh, look, I can I can like twirl a drumstick around in my um, fingers quite impressively. So we don't have, we don't, don't, have have any. don't have a drumstick in here, Sorry. so I can't I can't show you, which is good because I'll probably fuck it up. So probably for the best, we not getting proof of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Here's a good skill. I just got a puppy and I can train dogs. I'm in the process of training dog a dog, trainer. dog training, dog whisperer. We're not That's all the way done yet, but we're making very good progress. Yeah. Really the dogs um, just in London are so well trained. When you go to any park, every, every park's a dog park and you go in and they all just like follow their owner very obediently and they come when you call them and it's just, it's incredible. My dog yeah. would never. My dog, as soon as she's off the leash. <laughs> my, dogs eat, my family's got dogs in Scotland and they're they are not obedient at all, man. They don't give a fuck these dogs anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they're what they want. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there any song that makes you like really nostalgic you can remember? Whoa. I think there's, there, honestly, there's a lot of really terrible songs that make me nostalgic. I was like, I was a bit of a, bit of a grebo and a bit of a mosher when I was like, I guess, I don't know, 14 and through to 16, maybe, maybe younger than that, actually, that I remember now. But either way, I feel like I listen to a lot of shite music, a lot of like, I don't know what you call it, like, like scenester stuff and like emo music that I used to think was like dead cool at the time. I really got into it and like, some of, uh, some of it admittedly is pretty good, like weirdly the band Enter Shikari, I can listen Oof. to... I know it's a weird choice, but I can still listen to some of that stuff in their first couple of albums, still listen to it and think, oh, it, it kind of hits me with that wave of nostalgia. I remember listening to it obsessively when I was uh, a lot younger, but I still kind of think it holds up, man. I still think it's good music. The Juggernaut um, and like, Sorry You're Not a Winner and stuff from that first album, Johnny Sniper, all that stuff. I, didn't, I can like recall all the intros to those songs. I can fucking remember like me and my friends like sitting around in a park listening to it on a mobile phone. Man, this is the <laughs> shit. <laughs> is the, this is the future of music right here. Electric guitars, synthesizers, a man screaming. 
makes me feel old because I remember that band came out and I thought, fuck, I'm too old for this. This is shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God almighty. Well, what are you nostalgic for? I, well, I started collecting vinyl recently and uh, I went back and bought all the David Bowie records. Well, not all of them, but I bought a bunch of them. And when I was about, I think, 14 to 16, I was absolutely obsessed with David Bowie. And it, every sort of album was a journey and it was all, they're all obviously all so different. But I got obsessed with each album and I saw them in the tour uh, for reality, that record that came out in like 2003. And uh, I got that in vinyl recently when I put it on, transporting me back to being my little 14, 15 year old self. Uh, and I just remember like it just totally t- changed my world when I put the record on again. So I think, I think the Bowie records for now uh, are, are taking me back. Yeah. I can't wait till I can start collecting vinyl. I'm an aspiring vinyl collector. I'm too <laughs> nomadic right now to start I, doing I, that. I had um, the same. So only, only this year I started doing it because I always knew that if I got involved, I'm going to spend a lot of money here and I'm going to get obsessed. Yep. And I, I held back. But then when the lockdown started, I thought, fuck it, just go wild. And I got on Discogs and I've been buying so much, but I've had to stop it recently because it's so expensive. Eh? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an expensive hobby. Oh my god! Oh yeah, it's easy to get carried away with as well. We both, both collect. Aaron in the band is quite obsessive with how he collects vinyl as well. Um, I think we're all. Ironically, none of us have any money. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I wonder why we've got no money. <laughs> Spending it on these records, man. Um, do you have a favorite karaoke song? What's your go-to uh, sing-along tune? I hate karaoke, to be honest. I do. <laughs> I do actually, do you have one? yeah. Uh, don't you want me, baby? Oh, that's a good one. Is that your zoo? Human League. Human League. Yeah, Human League. Don't you want me, baby? That's fine. I need to be more drunk. I need to be like really pissed to properly start screaming that. Do you do both the characters? <laughs> you do the women as well? I do the woman as well. Oh, cool. I don't. I don't sing it in a higher voice. I sing it. Sing it very low as well. I sing it all in the same okay. register. I don't really. Don't really uh, play by the rules <laughs> when I do karaoke. So. I am not doing karaoke. I absolutely despise it. I, I, I do. It. I do actually remember. Like I think it was like a work party. We all me and a bunch of guys went to. We did karaoke for this work party. Um, I picked that song. I remember my friend picked Eminem. Lose yourself. Oh my god! Like I think the with karaoke, no matter how drunk you are, even if you're sober, and even if you can rap, never pick a rap because if you can't do it, it's embarrassing. And if you can do it. You look like a dickhead because you're like showing off. You're better to just avoid rapping. Yeah. Percent of the time for karaoke. If I was in a karaoke bar and somebody went on with Eminem, I'd get a taxi home. <laughs> <laughs> no fucking way. Uh, I think it ended after that. Just like a very like raucous night suddenly ended very quietly of like the last verse of Eminem's "Lose Yourself." Put the mic down. Everyone's quiet and. Uber, Uber. Should we? Uh, should we make track? Should we go? Yeah, everyone go home now. Should we? <laughs> yeah. Okay, do any of you have a a quote or a piece of advice that you just kind of like always remember that you would like to share with the world? Mm. That's a wild question, isn't it? I wish you had told us that before. We, yeah. that. I wish I, no, we I, can I, come back to it if you want time to think about it. Yeah. Like, am I going to think of anything smart in that time? Probably not. I can't think of it. My mind's totally been blank because I love quotes and stuff like that. I'm always reading up about them. Uh, Dan, no. I tell you what, Dan, Danny is like along that thing. Danny is very, very good at giving advice. I have like at many different moments of the last couple of years, I've kind of sought solace in Danny, and he, he does offer a very, very sound. Uh, oh, his life coach. <laughs> he is. He is. He's very, very good at giving concise advice, and very like clear cut to the point. Um, I read a quote, and I can't remember where it is, but it was basically as soon as you start to care about what other people think you're fucked, so you shouldn't care about what anyone thinks. And, and I totally agree with that. Like, that's how I've never actually cared what other people think. <laughs> <laughs> ah. It's always been a... I, w- yeah, I wish right, I'd, yeah. I'd had that confidence. That's something I've only, like, <laughs> developed recently is that ability to actually not really care what the people think of it. That is a recent development for me, I think. I feel like consciously try not to care what people think, you know? You it's not automatic. I'll tell you. How this guy's going to help you. <laughs> Look, honestly, like uh, it's the it's the best thing you can ever do for yourself is start to instill that lesson and teach yourself like nobody's looking at you, nobody fucking cares, because you you feel a, a million tons lighter, you know. Yeah. 
so you guys haven't made a music video, have you? No. Okay, I didn't think so. I, I like try to do some research and just make sure I didn't miss anything. My face used to be committing to a film. These are faces for the radio, not yeah. for... <laughs> this is the most that people are generally seeing of us here. Those poor people. Just static. <laughs> Do you guys have any ideas if you if you were to make one someday? Is there any ideas you've had for what it would look like? I tell you what, if you're, if you're looking for good ideas, you come to the wrong two people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I joking? We did have an idea for it. We work with an artist called Jamie Tilly. He does our artwork. Mm-hmm. We collaborated with him in some of the we kind of created these photography sets for the last two singles. Yeah, one of Jamie's uh, pieces of art is the cover from Indian Lines, actually. Yeah. Uh, so we had some ideas about working with Jamie for this song, but this was prior to lockdown. But uh, I, I, I find it really hard to get engaged in a music video now. So it would have to be some sort of artistic piece rather than just a band doing their thing. Because I think, oh, yeah, who cares now? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. I'd, yeah, I mean, if, if people go through our artwork and all the stuff that we've kind of released is artwork that's done by our friend Jamie. He's an outstanding photographer. He's a brilliant kind of creative and artistic mind. So I think when we when we come to suss out visuals for a release and for like a stage of the band, for press shots, whatever it is, we go to Jamie. He's, you know, he's the first, first port of call. We bounce ideas off him. Um, you know, from Meridian Lines, I guess the, the concept of the artwork was we had, we had had this tune kind of buried almost for a while and we didn't know what to do with it. So we had said to Jamie, like, do you have any pictures that you've taken that you haven't been able to release yet? Like, do you have some artwork that the story to that artwork matches the story to our song? And like yeah. sent us all these amazing pictures, I think from Cornwall, that he had taken on... Um, on film and I guess we kind of went through and we did some graphic design and we we turned them into the covers um the one that the one that we went with that uh, Jamie took is really fits the song in my mind yeah and it kind of gives it gives the song a quite a British flavor whereas before it in my mind it's as I said it's only kind of Beach Boys kind of Californian in a weird way mm-hmm. but this gave it this really British edge was yeah yeah absolutely there, there's something like grounding to it of like there, there is definitely kind of like a beachy kind of feel to the song it is very summery and I think matching up with that artwork and the artwork almost feels quite cold and it is as you say it's like so unmistakably uh English and British it just like it feels like it almost like changes the way you interpret the song almost changes the way you hear it it turns it from what would on the face of it be like summery kind of light song it almost suggests something um almost a little bit darker in there I think that's that's kind of the brilliance of you, you find somebody to work with on visuals for, for a music project, somebody who, who kind of gets what you're doing and somebody who in their own right is an exceptional exceptional artist. It can totally change the game for you. Absolutely. So if you were to do a music video, it would be like imagery, not you guys. It would be like visual yeah to be honest but got to be in there at some point i hate i hate getting my picture taken and stuff like that i go into some sort of statue mode and i look like a dead body i want da- to stand there danny, danny is so weird when we do photo shoots honestly this <laughs> like, is the first day of standing lessons <laughs> whether i put my fucking hands is okay and danny sit like you normally do okay sure <laughs> just is this fine guys and this, this is how i always sit down <laughs> i was like my body goes really rigid and all of a sudden yeah. i'm like so you put a camera in. Danny, do a pose. Uh, where, where do I put my hands? Where? It's horrible. <laughs> I, 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 why is it? Eh? So I can only imagine that making a video would be probably 20 times worse than the, the pictures. Yeah. I've, I've done music videos in the past that are like performance music videos, and they are so weird. I'm sure people have complained to you before in the past about how unusual they are, and like you, there's it's an awkward, there's an, there's an awkward choreography that goes along with it. It becomes more complicated than what you think it would be it, it, the more you dig into it the more complicated it gets i remember yeah. doing a music video um it is out there on the internet somewhere we rented out like the basement of this pub because we just we wanted like totally dark performance video but with like the light with a huge like light show kind of carrying the entire visuals and there was like no ventilation in this pub it was like the hottest day of the year i remember you can see it on this video 
um, I am literally like drenched Lovely. head to toe. <laughs> the bassist of the band, he was, he was like, he was so stressed out that his girlfriend rang him up. He was so fucking hot, so stressed out. His girlfriend rang him up and he broke up with her on the spot, man. He dumped his girlfriend because he was so fucking stressed out with the heat <laughs> and sweat. He couldn't hack it. Did he dump her live on the video? <laughs> It's not on film. It's not on film. It's not on film. But I just I remember like we fucking we're taking a break from filming. We kind of walk outside and like all the boys in the band are all just like fucking sat around this pub and like it's almost like walking out onto like the like a battlefield hospital of like what the fuck has happened here? And we're like oh it's not good, mate. Josh has broken up with his girlfriend. <laughs> so we're never doing a music video. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first band they ever interviewed um, from Northern Ireland, they're like a Northern, they're like an online sort of band. They don't live in the same place. So the first music video they made was they played a gig in London and they just had somebody film it. And then they kind of filmed like throughout the weekend of just like their time in London and chopped it together and edited it. And it turned out really good. Hmm? What are they called? We Are the Trees okay. from Northern Ireland. They like play that, like huh? indie emo rock music. They're good. Alright, okay. Mm. That's a cool idea. That's a cool idea. The non-music video, music video. Exactly. Yeah. That's what we need. We need like less pressure old... than a very staged and um, choreographed yeah. thing. It's just more natural. We need like the found footage, like just exactly. our was walking around a city playing a gig. That's the kind of thing we need to do. Well, easier. Like that's probably exists. Easier. Nobody getting sweaty. Nobody getting stressed out. Come on. Yeah. Perfect. Um. Do you have a favorite place that you've played a live show before? Could be a city or a venue in particular that you like? Yeah, I think we, we've done a couple of gigs at this venue in Amsterdam called Cinetol. Though I admittedly it's one of the only places I've played in Amsterdam, so I don't have a very good gauge of what all the venues are like, but we I feel like we've always had really, really good <coughs> shows there. And there's always for me been the excitement of like, oh, playing another in another city in another country yeah. there's a big kind of a show around it and i know danny um myself to a certain extent but mainly danny put in a shitload of effort to put on i guess both the gigs that we had done there and they had kind of formed uh centerpieces of these tours that we had done over in europe so and they were always they're always the culmination of what felt like a lot of hard work in recording and releasing and getting out and touring and yeah, you know breaking my hand and <laughs> slogging through like four or five gigs with a broken hand and then getting on stage in Amsterdam and Sinatol and we had like a backup guitarist here, Danny's friend who came in and <laughs> played the guitar for me. <laughs> he learned all the songs like two days before. Fucking miracle man. Legend. He learned like all our songs like two days and has come on stage and played them all for me. I could stand there and like nurse my broken arm. And Do you just singing? With a broken arm. I did a little bit. It was, it was kind of tricky because I couldn't really move my wrist. I was very like, it was all up. There's videos of me on our Instagram, definitely. Like you can see me. I'm. It's very Kurt Cobain guitar playing. I'm definitely like, <laughs> looks like I'm starting a lawnmower up. <laughs> 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 oh my god. <laughs> hey, I in seventh grade I used to play soccer, football, and. Uh, I played on a co-ed team and I got pushed over by one of the taller uh, guys and I broke uh, one wrist and fractured the other. So for the entire like rest of the year, um, I had to have a cast and <laughs> a brace, just no like way. walking around. That's horrendous. And I, I um, ironically, it was the year that they taught, taught you uh, typing. So I got an incomplete <laughs> in typing class because I couldn't. Hmm? Are you bad at typing because of that? No, I, I'm good now. I think I, I like was self-conscious about it and I made up for it by like practicing on my own. So now I'm a wicked fast typer. I swear to God, I missed, I was sick when I was really young, like five, five or six years old. I missed the, the alphabet <laughs> at school, right? <laughs> It's easy the alphabet. I have to actually sing the song to get to what's next. Wait, what? No, I do that. There is I not. A that. I have there to is... go through, I have to think about it. Because I don't know what one's coming up next because I missed that week. <laughs> I, I, I write for a living, that is my job. In Scotland, is there a week where you do the alphabet and that's it? You get one chance. <laughs> I, think so. I definitely miss uh, some key like, classes. Honestly, eh? if you miss it, you're fucked. 
I think most people have to go through the song to to get to a certain. I do that all the time. I thought it was just me. I feel pretty good now. <laughs> oh, confidence boost. <laughs> Is there somewhere um, that you haven't been yet that you would like to go play a show? Oh man, loads of places. I'd love to play in New York, but I've been in New York, but I've never played in the states actually. So New New York and LA would be the dream destinations for me. I think maybe Nashville. Yeah, same. I'd, I'd love to play over in the states. Absolutely. It's kind of that's kind of since we started something we always talked about mm -hmm. how cool it would be to tour the states. So that's I guess that's a bit of a goal. Yeah. Um, so and about ten years ago, quite a lot of Scottish bands went to the states to play, and one of my friends, yeah. I from school, he joined the band Frightened Rabbit. And they toured America a lot. And I remember I, I used to live in Toronto and I met up with them for a day. We were hanging about and I was in their bus. They had a cool tour bus and all that. And there was backstage drinks. And I thought, this is fucking amazing. I was like 22, 23. I was like, this is so cool. I was in awe of it. And I guess I've always been chasing that a little bit. But then I'm thinking to myself, I'm 33. I don't even know if I could be drinking every night. I would, I would die, you know, like one beer tonight is going to probably kill me tomorrow so I don't know if yeah. that dream's passed but uh, I've, had, I've had two small beers I will probably have a hangover tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys ever deal with anxiety or stage fright when it comes to performing live? Uh, yeah my, I used to like really badly I think I went through a phase where I had I don't know if you call it like stage fright but I, I don't know I, just, I used to feel like sick before I went on stage and I think before I think I get like to the midpoint of a set and I'd be like fucking I don't know like felt like I was dying I was like the fucking world was closing in on me and I'd get to the halfway mark of the set and I'd start to get more and more relaxed and then last song kind of start to relax a little bit and then I'd get off stage and it would feel like I'd just done like a skydive or something which maybe is like part of the reason why I kept going back to it when I was kind of starting because it was such a rush of like fucking terrifying it felt like something that was I don't know so contrary to what I actually perhaps wanted to do and my instinct was to just like fucking hide away man I get on, get up on stage and like sing in front of people what the hell are you doing you're crazy it's singing in front of strangers you know what are you doing but <laughs> I guess fighting through that and getting to the point now where I'm like you know very comfortable doing it I feel very confident doing it um there's a there's a very rewarding feeling there I still get a wee bit of like stage fright and anxiety every now and then. It's a normal feeling if there's a lot of people out there waiting for you to go and perform for like 45 minutes. That is a lot of pressure. And I think it's really, really natural to kind of feel that stress and feel that pressure on you. And just look at him, he's going to say, nah, never, don't feel anything. <laughs> I think anxiety and excitement is the same feeling. If you think about it, like it's really similar. So I get excited before I play. I never feel nervous about playing or whatever I, I get excited but I've had anxiety in other areas of my life of course but I think they're quite they're quite similar feelings so it's easy to get them confused then yeah yeah I think there is there's a lot of that of like you just I don't know I guess maybe we're the opposite in that way like you you get your excitement you get your kicks from that build-up to it I think I don't know if I, I hate the build-up actually I hate the see the time before it I just the waiting around despise it, eh? like, it's yeah. the worst feeling in the world and yeah during the show, like I, I really love it, and after that, that moment straight after, because I never drank before, so that first beer after, yeah, is always like there's there's something levels. special in it. Not even yeah. normal beers is unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. There's man, you you're bringing up a good point there. There's a there's a special kind of purgatory that I think only like people who have been around the circuit in bands will understand, and it's that time between like a sound check and when you play that is just like. There is nothing else in the world going on. It's, it's such a weird headspace. It's a weird world to be in. It's a weird space. And I think you fucking, you get it with every show, except for the ones that I turn up late for, which always <laughs> end up the best. I think yeah. I've done a gig we did in Brighton at the Green Store Door. I got held up at work. Door. <laughs> what was it what I call it? Green Door Store. You call it the Green Store Door. <laughs> green Door Store. I think I turned up literally about a minute before we started i held back at work i was late on the train like run over to the venue grab a drink on stage like <laughs> most of my gear is there i've been driving down in the day that was um it got it pretty fun pure luxury <laughs> definitely pure luxury 
another thing that always baffles me about shows is um, I get really anxious when people have like their drink um, on the stage, like on the floor among the chords. Yeah, me too. And they get yeah. so close to kicking it over. I hate that. That stresses me right out. Like, how do, how do venues let you do that? Because if you kick it over and like ruin like their equipment, I mean, that's got to be. Aye, that's. I would have a big coaster uh, situation <laughs> built into the stage. <laughs> You can get like you can get mic stands with drink holders in them. You can definitely get like a cup holder attached. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, has anything like crazy or weird happened at one of your shows yet? Oh, I was. Oh, we were going through some old Instagram stories, right? Um, we did this show at ninety-three feet east in Shoreditch, oh, and funny. the band. It wasn't for us. It was for the, for the band before us. There was, um, there was this guy who was clearly he was getting worked up. He obviously pinged something. He was kind of up there, and he was like, he was getting agitated. He was kind of like marching around almost, um, just like getting ready to dance, trying to kick off a little bit. The music wasn't really, um, it wasn't like rave or anything, but he was getting ready. He was properly on it. I think about 20 minutes in he just like started to whip off his clothes his t-shirt off trousers down pulls his boxes way down and he stood there like stark naked in front of the band and like everybody had cleared out around him and just like fucking left him to it because he obviously spent 20 minutes prior like shoving people out of the way and making this big pit so he was just stood there like naked in the middle of this pit <laughs> i'd went out for a beer actually and i came back in to the to the venue to discover a naked guy, I thought I'd walked in the room. <laughs> just open the door, just this naked guy just walking around. Right. That was a bad <laughs> I don't think we're playing this one. Bizarre. Yeah. I, I once played a gig, similar situation, it was somebody who was clearly off their head. I played a gig when a guy smashed a glass on his head, a pint glass. It was like, I was in, I was in a folk band. I was playing acoustic guitar. <laughs> I playing acoustic guitar. There's somebody playing drums, somebody playing bass, and there's this guy who had obviously huffed something, and he was like marching up and down in front of the stage, and he had this pint, and he just fucking done this pint glass on his head, smashed it, and then legged it out the door. <laughs> I cannot stress enough, we were playing very, very calm folk music. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a, a punk show. It doesn't sound like a folk rock show. There's, there's some nutters out there, God bless them. I, like, I sympathise because I've, I've done it before. You get too much drink and you go on stage and like you think you're kind of at your limit where you think, I'm, I'm making sense here. I'm sober. I'm pretty good. And then as soon as you fucking put your guitar on, as soon as you start the first song, you realise I'm, I'm fucked. I'm wavy right wow. now. We, we did a gig in Edinburgh. Wow. I, was talking, wow. I was talking about Spotify <laughs> algorithms for like minutes on my own. <laughs> like no music playing. I was just stood there talking about how the Spotify playlist and algorithm works and how we needed people. You wouldn't stop it, even on. The worst thing was we'd went to Scotland to do two shows. We played Glasgow, I think the Thursday night or something, and it was really busy and it was it was a good show. And then we stayed in Glasgow and up and played in Edinburgh. And I, I've never really played so much in Edinburgh. This venue was, there was about five people there. It was empty. It was embarrassing, actually. And we started playing... Alex is absolutely leather before it. Nobody, <laughs> the bartenders are kind of looking at this. Then he just goes on this presidential speech about Spotify or something. It wouldn't stop it. Like, it just kept going on and on and on. It was it was my TED talk. It was honestly that was my TED talk. Yeah, when you have that captive audience, you know that's you take advantage of. I you have to you have to say. It's just, Even if it's shit, I've been I've been there. I've been there. I've been sat watching bands thinking my god this is fucking awful but there's nobody here i've got to you have to watch I've, it i've got to watch yeah. it i hate Agony. this, this Agony. Is, yep. so. you have to be the good person and su support them um be, be the be the crowd you would want to have at your gig yeah, yeah totally and sympathetic and attentive and <laughs> judgmental <laughs> judgmental but quietly not, not verbally. I judgmental. Yeah. yeah, just quickly whisper to your friend, this is garbage. <laughs> and then say, yeah. oh my God, honestly, that is the 
best uh, psych funk you're, post-punk you're I've ever heard. Twitter, you're always, every time, sometimes I've played with bands that have been shocking it. Like, Don't fucking drop me like this. And you've been up <laughs> after when you've been like, that was absolutely incredible when I'm sitting there thinking that. <laughs> Fucking worst things I've ever seen, mate. Look, there's there's a lot of stuff that we've like listened to that I genuinely think is like fucking brilliant, and Danny really really hates it. There's that's the beauty of like being in a band is you hear some of the weirdest and most wonderful music out there. You really get to play like on the peripheries with some people who are genuinely making some really experimental and interesting music. Some of it doesn't hit home. But you've got to admire the goal of trying for sure. Stuff, stuff that sits on like the weirder boundaries of music, I have a real soft spot for. I don't think Danny has any time for that. Maybe that's where we differ. <laughs> no time at all. I hadn't encountered any any um, performances like that until I came to London and started going at gigs around London. There are some some niche bands out yeah. there, and yeah, you got to admire them, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And there's <laughs> you do you do absolutely. <laughs> Um, <laughs> do you guys have any uh, any hobbies outside of making music? No. <laughs> <laughs> that is the worst fucking answer you could get. I don't any you, got, you got any hobbies? <laughs> Just music. Next question. Well, a lot of my, yeah, a lot of my like bandwidth is taken up with like thinking about music. Um, but obviously, I told you about the dog. Most recent hobby. Uh, cleaning up dog wee off the kitchen floor. That's my most recent hobby. Lovely. <laughs> House training a puppy. Okay, well, that was kind of all my questions. Um, is there anything I didn't ask about that you wish I had asked yeah. about? No, just thanks so much for having us and yeah. helping promote the single. I'm excited for it to come out. Was there anything else you wanted to promote other than the single coming out this, this Friday? Nah, no shows, sadly, but we'll be back soon. Uh, check that single out and that's it yeah absolutely take a listen to the new music there's a lot of stuff coming on the horizon just hang tight and when the world reopens we'll be gigging again and everything back to normal eh? yeah I can't wait cool you take care see you later see ya, see ya.